This is episode 53 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. So I start out with the saddest news story of the week, sadly, unfortunately, Gordon Earl Moore, the former chair of Intel from the 1960s and the namesake of Moore's law has died at 94 at his home in Hawaii. 94, he had a pretty good run. Uh, He coined Moore's law in 1965, which at the time he said the number of transistors, well, what he said was the power of a chip would double at regular intervals. That was quickly interpreted to mean the number of transistors on a chip, which was what was happening in the 60s with the chip explosion. Uh, by the time I heard Moore's Law, it it was described to me as uh, CPUs were going to double their clock speed every 18 months, which was, in fact, pretty well true. Uh, it was kind of crazy back in the days of the 286, the 386, 486, the the Pentium. Oops, uh, that's a different story entirely. But uh, somewhere around the late 1990s, it stopped being about clock speed because we hit a four gigahertz wall where it was physically impossible to cool chips sufficiently to keep the silicon from melting at any speeds higher. And uh, well, physics is a bitch. Anyway, uh, R.I.P. Gordon Moore. Um, I don't know what else you did, but you came up with a really cool benchmark that has been uh, strongly used. And even today, they keep trying to improve chips at that rate, although 18 months turned to 24. Now it's three years and it depends on whether you're measuring clock speed or or transistors or just chip power. Uh, You know, these days, the big chip push is for lower power usage. So the uh, processing power isn't increasing that much. You know, Moore's law is not really that applicable anymore, but it was a great benchmark for people paying close attention to the computer biz back in the day. It was uh, one, the song that I play before this is uh, all about the Pentiums by Weird Al. And uh, it's amazing just how much that song is dated talking about, uh, you know, the the number of the size resolution, number of gigahertz, etc. cetera. Uh, even when he went out of his way to exaggerate, uh, it, it's still a little dated. But he has a verse in there that says, uh, you know, you, you say you've had your laptop more than a week, throw that junk away, man. It's an antique, which is exactly the energy that Moore's law brought to computing. So, uh, it, I don't know. It was a big part of my growing up, uh, sad to hear him die. Not going to say any more about it today is a security heavy show because, well, frankly, I go with the stories that I'm given. Um, we got a lot of stuff about vulnerabilities but do not let the preponderance of technical stories distract you from the really important fluff pieces that I usually have like social media company malfeasance or how electric vehicles are all doomed to fail and explode on the roadway. I'm sure that I'm going to find plenty of stories to back up my personal biases on those topics next week. From the energetic peripherals department, 
One of the more obvious tips for keeping safe in an era of malicious code is that if you find a random USB device on the ground, do not plug it in. It may easily contain all manner of malicious stuff that you just do not want inside of your computer. Well, at least one Ecuadorian journalist did not get that memo. And in this case, the word malicious is an understatement. Rather than the usual chips and circuits and flash memory, the USB drive in question was packed with RDX, an explosive similar to C4 that explodes when it receives an electric current and is often used as priming charges in larger bombs made of TNT or the like. Uh, when this particular journalist plugged the drive in, the five volt current supplied to any USB device set off the explosion, causing, quote, mild face and hand injuries. According to police, only about half of the RDX charge, uh, about a one centimeter explosive, whatever you can fit in a thumb drive, only about half of the charge went off, which is likely, uh, quote, saved the journalist some harm or, you know, his life or fingers. Uh, that's that's not stuff you want to be putting in your computer. Uh, no word on whether or not the computer survived or what, uh, uh, whether or not the dudes named Ben had to be called in to, I, I don't know, reinstall something. But uh, the police also said that four other devices were found to be left near TV and print reporters offices, which suggests some kind of an attempt to intimidate the fourth estate. Or possibly somebody just was really unhappy with the slanted reporting that journalism does today. But that's another show. Three of those devices were recovered before being plugged in and the last one malfunctioned, which leads me to the most important lesson in this story. If you're going to intimidate journalists, at least learn how to correctly pack a USB stick with, uh, no, wait, that's not the lesson. Uh, the lesson is do not plug in random USB drives that you find on the street, lest your dumb ass get blown up. <laughs> From the Apps Are Evil department, yet another story about the dangers of installing apps. Two weeks ago, Google patched CVE 2023-20963, a privilege escalation vulnerability in Android OS, which could allow an app to break out of its sandbox. But they did not patch it before at least one app that used the vulnerability to download arbitrary code from the internet and run it in a privileged environment, according to research firm Dark Navy. The app is called Pinduo Duo. It is an e-commerce app out of China for connecting buyers and sellers. And the company that owns it, PDD Holdings, reports that they have 750 million monthly users. The malicious version of this app was available on from multiple third-party markets, uh, mostly used in China. There's no way to know from these markets per se how many times it was downloaded, but it was 750 million monthly. Uh, they, they could have taken updates. As soon as the malicious version was discovered, Google pulled Pinduo Duo from their main play store. Uh, and they say that it was never infected. According to dark Navy, the malicious app includes a function to covertly install other apps, disable uninstalls of apps un to uninstall competitors apps. That's a nice touch. Uh, to exfiltrate data, the usual, and evading Android security measures. Uh, further analysis by security firm Lookout also found evidence of the app adding widgets to devices, uh, tracking and uploading usage stats for all apps on the phone, parsing and logging notifications, including SMS messages, uh, received messages. You know, whenever you get a notification and it shows you the message that was received in the notification, yeah, this app went ahead and grabbed that and uploaded it to a server somewhere. Uh, and recording Wi-Fi details and geolocation, 
All of which was, of course, uh, sent to somebody that you probably don't trust. Uh, this is, by the way, was only two days of analysis by Lookout. They are uh, definitely looking out for other options. PDD Holdings, who releases the app, swears that there is nothing wrong with the app and it must have been hacked prior to being uploaded to the stores, but the malicious versions were distributed by PDD's private key, which means that maybe it was intentional, maybe there was a malicious insider in, in PDD, uh, maybe PDD lost track of their key, or maybe there was some other supply chain attack, but either way, when this sort of thing happens, you can't really trust the company until they do something radical like replace their keys or, you know, become another company, just change their name. That usually fixes everything, right? According to Google, US and EU users who got PDD from the Play Store are unaffected. Chinese users whose access to the Play Store is blocked at the Great Firewall by their government uh, and thus ha have to use third-party app markets should be much more concerned and should update their operating system immediately. As always, with everybody, Google recommends that if you blindly take every update offered for the OS or apps, because every once in a while, one of them patches a critical security vulnerability. From the competition at its finest department, the register writes about four vulnerabilities found in Netgear's Orbi mesh wireless system, affecting its main router and the satellite Wi-Fi extender routers. The vulnerabilities were discovered by security researchers at Cisco. Yes, Netgear's competitor published them. Cisco reported all four vulnerabilities to Netgear directly back in August of 2022. Netgear fixed and released firmware patches for three of those vulnerabilities and is reportedly working on the fourth. Now, what is this, seven months later? Uh, per Cisco's disclosure policy, 90 days has passed since they disclosed it and therefore Cisco released the details to the internet. Fortunately, you're not wide open. It's unlikely attackers will be owning Netgear routers left and right. The vulnerability is hidden in or in Netgear's hidden Telnet service functionality. I'm for one, I'm a little bothered by my router having a hidden Telnet service functionality, especially if I can't turn it off, but I guess that's a Netgear thing. An attacker who has a valid username and password can send a specially crafted packet to execute arbitrary commands on the device which could lead to the installation of a botnet, sniffing all packets that go through the router, or installing any other flavor of custom firmware. I don't think that there's a way through this vulnerability to remotely pack your router with RDX, but it's only a matter of time before Netgear adds that level of remote management too, I'm sure. We should all applaud the engineers at Cisco for diligently saving us from security holes in their competitors' products even if they did publish exactly how to compromise those products that haven't yet been patched. Luckily, you're only at risk from the people to whom you've given your router password. Or if you use the default password, then of course you're at risk for, from everybody. And from the writing files is hard department, uh, there is a new vulnerability out there uh, with the cute name, the Acropolic. Uh, Acropolis, AKA CVE 2023 uh, It is called Acropolis because it affects cropping functions in the Windows snipping tool and Google Pixels markup tool. Uh, also Windows's snip and sketch app, although I don't know anybody who uses Windows apps, so it's probably not that important there. The repro steps to trigger this vulnerability are you open an image in the snipping tool, you save the image to a file, 
Then you crop or modify the image and then you save over the original file. And what the program does is it saves again over the, the original file, but it does not remove the original image data from the file. It changes the image bounds metadata in the file and then places an end marker saying don't read past this point, but it does not truncate the data after the end marker. Uh, this data, if read by uh, another program that say ignores the end marker and image bounds could be used to partially recover any cropped information that you may have tried to remove from the image, such as account numbers or that naked pick that you use for a thumbnail. Microsoft considers this bug to be of such extreme severity that they released a patch out of band, meaning not on reboot Tuesday to fix it, presumably because of the high risk of leaks from all the Microsoft program managers who love to share screenshots, but don't always pay attention to inconsequential things like security. That said, the vulnerable vulnerabilities severity field in the CVE was in fact set to low. An eerily similar bug in Google Pixel's markup tool was discovered last week with almost exactly the same repro steps. When you crop an image with the markup tool, it writes the cropped data to the beginning of the file, but does not bother to truncate the remaining data in the rest of the file. It merely sets an end of file marker, meaning that if you crop to say 20% of the original image size, you can recover the lower 80% of the full cropped image, including any parts cropped out and anything that uh, anything that you covered up by a black bar, like if you decided to remove those account numbers. So anyway, if you are the kind of person who compulsively posts screenshots with data that you shouldn't be sharing and are concerned about either of these vulnerabilities, please see Windows Update or Play Store Update near you. Angry thanks go out to, you know, actually funny story that um, you may be aware that a few months ago I switched phones to from my old Samsung Galaxy S8 to a newer Samsung Galaxy something or other. Uh, don't don't judge me too harshly. Samsung's were very cheap on my plan. But uh, I finally managed to transfer after six months of having both phones, transfer all my stuff over, I thought, to the new phone and put the old one into cold storage, meaning uh, a storage unit. And it was uh, only recently that I discovered that my authenticator app, which controls a number of my accounts, including PayPal, is located on that phone and that I'm going to have to go get that phone in order to be able to log into PayPal in order to set up the authenticator on the new phone. So yeah, uh, funny story, maybe not that funny, maybe you're not laughing. I have to because it's better than crying. I don't actually know who uh, donated to Angry Tech News via PayPal this week. Um, I do know who donated to Angry Tech News via the streaming Satoshi Podcasting 2.0 value for value system there. And that is nobody. Well, nobody boosted. We did have uh, quite a few people streaming. You know who you are. And I very much appreciate the tiny fractions of a penny you are sending me. If only everybody who listened to this, I could have whole pennies. But, um, oh, I do have some good news on the node front. I, I will point out, uh, we, the thing that I complained about, actually I complained mostly on grumpy old Ben's last week about not having my node go through about the pitfalls of a Bitcoin system that still kind of requires you're a dude named Ben in order to understand what the hell you're doing. Um, 
We got that sorted out. We are in a ring of fire. We now have full open channels. You should never, ever have a problem sending me a million Satoshis at once. It will work. I've got, got the, the what channel capacity, whatever it is, the liquidity. That's the name. Anyway, very happy to report that angry tech news is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors. We don't play ads and we do not charge you for to listen, but we are supported by your donations. If you received some value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what the, whatever you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's 10 bucks or 50 bucks. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next week with more angry tech news. This has been angry tech news with the angry programmer, Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com Stay angry Stay angry Stay angry